we made it back. We are here with another AmeriCorps alumni on AmeriCorps Connections. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. If this is your first time here, AmeriCorps Connections is where we have conversations with AmeriCorps alums. Uh, and we hear about their journey, about their service year. And then we also are just so excited to celebrate what they're up to now. Uh, my name is Nikki Fiaco, and I'm the brainchild behind this um, YouTube channel and the podcast. And it really came out of my, my obsession with podcasts, number one, and my pivotal and very transformative uh, AmeriCorps year uh, when I served with Volunteer Maryland. Shout out Volunteer Maryland. Uh, <laughs> product placement. We're getting there. Um, I served as with Volunteer Maryland as an AmeriCorps member, and it really changed the trajectory of my life and my career and on my understanding of, of service and, and giving back to the community, but also the really important uh, skill of networking and making connections. And that's 100% what this podcast is about. I want to hear from as many AmeriCorps alumni as I can and connect you all with each other. So we have another excellent episode. I cannot wait for you all to meet this man that I am about to have this conversation with, um, who is an NCCC. I know we've had a run on NCCC alums, but it's, it's all good. Um, so I'm so happy to be here with Swim Kareem, and um, let's just dive right into this. Oh, before we get started, shout out to Dan Medivere. Look what I have, Dan. It's a microphone. Um, I know. Uh, thank you, Dan, for helping me get this podcast spread far and wide and for helping me with my audio and, and pretty soon some cool visual stuff that we'll do. So Swim, let's just jump right in. How did you find out about AmeriCorps? Did you know what you were getting yourself into? Well, you know, it's super funny, Nikki. It's good to see you. And I'm glad you uh, got your audience here on today's uh, call uh, and a video. It's really great. You know, it's super funny. I uh, We talked last week and I said, oh, yeah, I was an C member. And then I thought, I said, you know what? I might need to go back and double check. It, it's because I was like, you know what? What are the actual differences? And so one of the things is I know what C, you're you're traveling around. I was not a part of that. So, oh, I've, so given, funny. I've already given you false information. I don't know uh, why you've invited me here. I need to be a fact checker. <laughs> let me let me let me back up a little bit because my AmeriCorps experience uh, is a little bit different, I think, than some. So I was uh, be I would be more considered under the Vista, but I was a part of this thing when I went to I went to college in Asheville, North Carolina. I know we got a lot of people that went to App State. A lot of people in your uh, in your world went to App State. And so shout out to the Mountaineers. And I was a part of a particular program at Warren Wilson College called the Bonner Scholar Foundation AmeriCorps One. Yes. And okay. so I think, I don't know if that falls more under the NCCC one. And so my, my insight was a little bit different compared to others that do like the full year and they're we, we did, I did the traveling and things like that. But for me, a lot of the, the work I was doing was a little bit more at a home base, didn't really travel as much and did more during like uh, the fall breaks, winter breaks, summer breaks, ton of thing, winter breaks. So that was, that was what I did. Actually, I was a part of this network and, and it's, a, it's a network that continues to this day. Yeah. I was going to say you are officially the, I, I'm going to have to fact check everything now, but I think officially you are a first Bonner Scholar AmeriCorps alum. And um, my nine to five job that I work, um, we support higher education institutions in, in the mid-Atlantic region. And um, yeah, we've interacted with some Bonner Bonner fellows as well. So so way to go. We I, I love NCCC. I love you all, but we broke it. Thank you. <laughs> but I think I'm about to interview, drop a podcast from an NCCC member. So, um, but anyways, that's fantastic. Let's talk about your experience. Did, um, apparently you did know what you were getting into, maybe. Yeah, so this was back, I went to college in 2006, in August of 2006. And it was at that time where I became a Bonner Scholar. And it really started for me in high school. And I know we have a lot of people that are in the nonprofit space, Nikki, or that are kind of former AmeriCorps alum, like you like to say, 1.2 million strong, uh, that just because they became in, in AmeriCorps, they ended up going and transitioning into the nonprofit space. But for me, it started really back when I was in high school. Uh, I had moved from Philadelphia, so I'm a reason for Philadelphia, lived there till I was 13 years old, and then with my mom, relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'm, you know, I'm 13, I'm young, I'm in a new area, and I don't know anyone. And so I said, 
what are some ways that I have an opportunity to make connections in the community and meet people? Didn't really have a lot of money, didn't have a car, you know, don't, you don't have those things when you're adolescents at the age of, you know, 13, 14 years old. And so yeah. my mom worked at the hospital, I think it's the Carolina Medical Center, the CMC there in Charlotte. And one of the things she said is over the summer, you can come hang out with us and you can volunteer at the hospital. And so one of the things I was doing at a very young age at 14, I would push people not very far, but they come off the elevator and it was a handoff. And so I would push people, maybe they just had a baby, maybe they had surgery, any number of things. And I take them from the elevator to their car and I push their wheelchair. And that was really my first introduction into the volunteer space. And it was something that really, it sounds cheesy and cliche, but it really sparked a joy in me because it gave mm -hmm. me an ability to make connections in a new community I didn't know. You feel good about yourself and you're doing some really good work in a local community. So from there, I did a did, a, did everything. Key club, <laughs> junior civitans. I was a junior docent for two summers at the Charlotte History Museum. So I would do tours, say, oh, this is Queen Elizabeth. A lot of people may not know Charlotte yeah. is the Queen City named after the queen uh, there. And so I would do tours in this museum and it was just a really good way to not only give me joy, but give me, give me insights into the area I was at. Mm -hmm. A lot of knowledge was gained. Cause again, this is in 2003, you know, 2004, mm -hmm. the internet isn't what it was today. So it's just a really good opportunity. So from there, when I went and I started applying to colleges, uh, when I applied to Warren Wilson College, one of the things that, that came up was, hey, you could be a Bonner Scholar under the AmeriCorps designation. And so that's actually how I became a part of the alumni group. And that was in 2006, right after Hurricane Katrina. And as we know, a lot of AmeriCorps people yeah. were doing work in that area. Yeah, I wanted, and yes, and we're going to so get there about like <laughs> all of the work that was done in, um, sorry, my thing just went crazy. Okay. Um, two things, so many things, so much in that introduction. Um, but something that you said that I've just been hearing over and over and over about how volunteerism connects you. It connects you to people that um, are different from you. It connects you from to people in your community and it gives you a sense of purpose. And one of the things that I keep hearing over and over in um, just the information that I'm consuming is just how lonely our uh, our current state of the U.S. is. And we feel like it's so there's so many people that feel unconnected and not connected and not purposeful and and are, are don't necessarily have something that like they feel compelled to get up in the morning and do, whether it's your work or your family or whatever. And time and time again, um, like just the Surgeon General of the United States said that we have a pandemic of, or we have an epidemic of loneliness in the United States. And he literally said, service and volunteerism is a cure for that. And I, 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 I need to write him a letter and be like, so there's this little agency you might want to know about <laughs> in the federal government. And it's connecting people to purpose and meaning and service and opportunities and how insightful and wonderful for, for your mom. And then also you to realize at such a young age that you could you could make a difference like i've been on the end the other side of that wheelchair with that person pushing me out one time i did it and i had it well twice and i had a baby <laughs> in my arm right i had a baby a new brand new baby in my arm and i was like oh my god you know so like these this is so important and i just hope people can can take from what you said that service service whether it's americorps or volunteerism makes a difference it just it just does like it, it 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 connects you to people and places that you may never have have thought to go so thank you for sharing that um and then Absolutely. yeah so take it from here yeah and so th that was when again 2006 right hurricane katrina had just happened about a year beforehand and and as we know america was still sending people to the gulf coast to kind of do a lot of work and so one of the things in the summer of 2007, uh, being under this Bonner Foundation AmeriCorps designation, uh, we have to do a certain number of volunteer hours and volunteering in the summer. And we also do it in the, in the school year as well. And so during the school year, we're in things like, uh, I'm trying to think of some good examples. Born school, like, uh, after school care clubs, those are really big. Boys and girls clubs, as an example. So we're doing that type of work. We're doing trail maintenance is actually a really big one that I was doing. So we're doing about five hours a week 
through all the entire school year. But then come the summer, you're asked to do a certain amount of money because, you know, if you're going to get that at end of the year uh, money in terms of education and grants, which I use for my college student loans and help pay down the debt immediately, uh, in order to get that, you have to do a certain amount. I think it's like, you know, I'm not even going to give you a number. I'm going to say 800, but I don't even know if that even adds up to more or less. And so one of the things, one of the big, big experiences during the summer of 2007, and even before then doing uh, single week trips was going down to New Orleans. And so I went Mm. down to New Orleans in the, the fall of 2006. I went in the winter of 2006 slash seven. I went in the spring of 2007. And then I went in the summer for two months of 2007. Wow. And so there were still a lot of AmeriCorps Vistas down there. There were still a lot of AmeriCorps NCCC members down there. So that was where I really start to get a greater sense of the alumni group. Yes. Making. Because traditional people, if you're in Triple C in Eastern Washington, or if you're in the Detroit area, like Kate Morton, uh, one of your former guests was saying, you're surrounded by it. But where I was in rural Appalachia, North Carolina, I didn't see a whole lot of AmeriCorps members on the regular. So it was definitely one of those things being down in Mobile, Alabama, New Orleans, uh, even in places like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you'd see a lot of AmeriCorps members. And that was the first time I really started to see the the weight and the size of the AmeriCorps alumni uh, group. Yeah, 100%. I, uh, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about my you know, I was an AmeriCorps member, right? So I I had that AmeriCorps experience, but then I worked in uh, Volunteer Maryland as a director. So I had that bigger programmatic view of like, oh, like the, we're spanned all across the, the state of Maryland and we have 30, you know, cohorts that have gone through here. Where did all these people go? Who are they? What are they doing now? And then when I went up to the commission level, that that really 30,000, 40, 50,000 foot view of like the national service landscape across our country and in our territories of Guam and Puerto Rico and in D.C., and the connections with the commissions and the AmeriCorps members, that's when I was like, holy crap there's a lot of us in all different silos um and there's got to be a way for us to have a grander conversation and connect people who have had n triple c teach for america city year all of those different Mm. experiences where people um connect more with the program that they came through and not so much the big americorps seventy five thousand or two hundred thousand americorps members that serve annually like there's a million of us And I will just say, I'm going to double down on the AmeriCorps connections and I'm going to challenge people to in your every day, like at least once a month, you're going to run into somebody who did AmeriCorps, like wear your, wear your vintage gear, go out with a t-shirt, see what happens. I think Dana even mentioned wearing her, her gear. Um, And somebody will say to you, did you serve in AmeriCorps? And we're everywhere. So yeah. And, and I love that you had the experience from your program to understand like NCCC invested in all the different streams. Well, I think we have an I think you have an idea right here. You got to start selling alumni T-shirts, scars. And, and so then there. I can so then I can just walk around and be like, oh, this pen I got it from Nikki. No big deal. <laughs> no, I love that. AmeriCorps Connections. AmeriCorps Connections. We, we'll get there. We've mm-hmm. got some some people working on things. So we'll see what happens, but I appreciate that. Um, so what kind of work were you doing when you went to all these different places? Yeah. Again, during this, during that, during the year time, it was a lot of the things that you would imagine. Like I said, working in after school programs was a really big one. Working with food banks was really, really big. Um, depending on the time of the year, if it's the holidays, you were doing a lot of that. Um, and then one of the, the, the best things I really appreciated about, about the program was the introduction to nonprofits, because sometimes they would go to the, the service learning center of the organization of the college and they say, hey, we're looking for some volunteers to help me in X, Y, and Z. Is that a possibility? And so it's like, yeah, we have a whole department that, that leads those particular efforts. So I had the ability to do work with the mm-hmm. likes of Western North Carolina AIDS Project did work with them. Autism Society North Carolina did work with them. Uh, Man of Food Bank, which is part of the greatest second harvest nonprofit entity that's across the nation. Uh, so just a, a lot of good introductions with nonprofits. But the big thing that I was doing, at least in New Orleans, was a lot of gutting. 
Uh, and I know, I, I think I, who did I, I listened to one of your previous episodes and someone was saying that they were doing a lot of paperwork. So they were having the yeah. clients that would give them paperwork and they were filing through that. So since we were coming around a little bit later after the fact, one of the things that we would do is we were living in the lower ninth ward. I'd never forget it. We were on knife and independence right on the corner, caddy corner to a elementary, maybe middle school. One of the two, I know it was in a high school. Uh, and you could see the levees from, from the house. I mean, it was really just that close. Wow. And, and one of the things living in the area for two months, we were just living in a house, uh, funny enough. And so we're living in a house. It's like six of us in this particular house. Um, and, and one of the things that you really begin to appreciate is that there'll be community members that say, hey, you all are with that group uh, doing stuff in the neighborhood. And so before long, people start to know who you are. And mm -hmm. so we were doing a lot of gutting, going into people's homes. Um, and if they still had products or still had items in their house, removing those items because it's labor intensive. And so you've yeah. got a bunch of 19, 18, 20 year olds, you know, they're eating uh, ding dongs and McDonald's <laughs> all day, you know, so they, 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 we don't know anything from anything. We're just young or energetic and we're willing to help. So you're going into people's homes, you're removing old couches things that maybe you, they just weren't able to get out. Cause you know, if you're 65 plus, if you're 55 plus, you might not have the energy or the network to help you. So we were doing mm -hmm. a lot of that uh, along with uh, working in a lot of uh, summer programs as well. Yeah. Working down there during the summer, moving stuff around. I bet it was sweltering. <laughs> you lose so much <laughs> sweat. It's, it's seriously like I, that was the skinniest I've ever been because you're just constantly sweating and working yeah. and moving. So yeah, you've got it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But so rewarding and so important that this work has to, has to take place. Um, so, and I love what you said about being introduced to, to nonprofits because that was also my experience, right? Like I was working in a park and we were getting volunteers from all over the place and, you know, just coordinating and reaching out to different organizations that could come in and help and provide, you know, and, and it, we weren't doing anything we were doing environmental education programs, but really getting to understand like all of the different organizations throughout, throughout the County that I worked in, um, was your experience with interacting with those nonprofits. Do you think that that was a direct correlation and linkage to what you're doing now? 100%. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, just, that's, that's just the short answer. 100%. <laughs> Um, like with anything, as you get deeper and deeper into particular structures, and for me, my interest in structures of the nonprofit space and the differences between them, it, it, there's just no doubt about it. AmeriCorps really put me in a position of really understanding some of the most immediate needs of, of nonprofit organizations, some of the things that can be put to the side, some of the leader structures that you see. Yep some of the ways that these organizations work in the community or some of the ways these organizations don't work in the community. I think we have this sense that a lot of nonprofits are really out there touching clients and interacting with clients. And that's not always the case. There are a lot of, as we know, foundations that are more financial backers. We know there are a lot of organizations that provide resources or research. I know we got a lot of data fiends out there. Uh, and so like, there's a lot of nonprofits that do a lot of things. And so for me, it was really the culmination of my, because I did it for two years. It was a combination of those two years under this Bonner AmeriCorps uh, setup that really set me up in a really good way. It's really understanding the space that is working within nonprofit and various charities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it opens up so many doors and, you know, you could go down so many different avenues. Like, you know, I like what you said about not every AmeriCorps member goes down the nonprofit route, but that's the proximity that we're in. So a lot of us end up that way, but there's also corporate social responsibility. And like you said, data and research, because now more than ever, and you know this, that, you know, this, like certain interventions need to be data driven and they need to be data rich. And so nonprofits and, and other organizations are looking in and working in that space. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, how many of us 
you know, if you're listening to this, how many of us have applied for a job? And one of the questions that tends to come up is, have you done any type of military service? Have you done any type of AmeriCorps service? And you're able to check that box. I think there are a lot of nonprofits that really are able to utilize the AmeriCorps mm -hmm. network as a pipeline of not only just high-end talent, but high-end ideas and action points. And so yeah. I know there are a lot of organizations that are out there that really rely on the AmeriCorps network, not just in terms of getting labor, right? That's the big part. You know, mm -hmm. we, we know what it is, right? You get some quality people that are able to come in, but the exchange of ideas, being connected with generally young people. And like, we know that you can be of all ages and do AmeriCorps, but we know a large percentage tend to be between ages of 18 and 24 years old. And so there's a lot of energy that comes when you have that type of demographic under your house. And so absolutely, there's just so many benefits to society as a whole and here in the United States of having an AmeriCorps program. It just reverberates like a stone hitting water. I love that. Oh, what a good visual. And the program that um, I served in and then I was director for, we were, it was an intergenerational program. And I love to see the interaction. I mean, we had an AmeriCorps member who did VISTA for like five years. And then she did AmeriCorps for like two or three years. Like she was a lifelong, like, um, AmeriCorps person. And she was celebrated her 70th birthday during her service year. And it was just really exciting. Like, I love to see how um, the uh, the AmeriCorps members from, you know, the, the younger AmeriCorps members in their 20s and in, in early 30s, um, just lean into her, her like sage experience on this planet and, and what she was doing. You know, she was she was serving at a, a senior center and she was serving seniors as a senior herself. I mean, it was just like when you come with, when you're talking about like ideas, I mean, anybody, yeah, I know like mad love. I would give her a shout out. She probably wouldn't mind, but um, I need to check with people before I start <laughs> <giving> people's <laughs> names out, but um, absolutely. And you've got that, you've got that, that passing back and forth about ideas and you have people. And one of the things that like with AmeriCorps, you know, like you said, um, the resiliency, I think, of AmeriCorps members, like if you can make it through a service year, and some is are more challenging than others, some come with financial struggles, struggles, some come with relationship struggles, and, and whatever. Um, but if you can make it through a service year, and you're committed to that, you're a type of person, right? You're just, mm -hmm. you're a type of person. Yeah, there's no thought about it. It's not, you know, I always say it's not for everyone and not, and it's not for everyone in the same way that going to college is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not for everyone in the same way of uh, fixing your car. I've recently had some coolant <laughs> troubles with my car and I'm like, I could look this up online. And if I was being honest, I could get, get a jack for my car. I could lift it. I could probably fix this. It's just not for me, Nikki. It's Outsource. just not for me. It's, <laughs> right. So for those that are interested in, and they go through uh, the AmeriCorps year, I think it can be very beneficial. Not to say that everyone, and you've mentioned this before, not to say that everyone's going to walk away absolutely loving it. But if you're able to give some good time, really take a look at it. And one of the great things is you can do that pretty much any time in your life, which is yeah. really, really amazing. Yeah, it is. There's there's opportunities for everyone. Um all right, let's take a little swing here about like what what are you up to now? I know you have a couple different things happening in your life. There's some things that like I know that you want to talk I want you to talk about. Um but I want to segue into either like what you're doing now or what you want to what you want our viewers the AmeriCorps Connections network to know about you. I always like to say the one thing I'm still doing to this day is volunteering. I work and operate in the nonprofit space. So I get paid in that particular place working with larger nonprofits and all of that jazz. But on my day-to-day, -day, I still volunteer. It's something that has, I always like to say in the nonprofit space, I love the money because it excites my brain, but I love volunteering because it warms my heart. Yeah. There's just so many opportunities to this day uh, to be able to really know the people that are around you based off of volunteering. And so even to this day, Nick, I'm still volunteering. I, there's a bus stop. I live in Albuquerque. We have an adopt a bus stop. And so me and my, I have a son, he's seven. He's going to return eight here in December. We've adopted this bus stop. 
And so if you go to the bus stop, this is our bus stop. And so we're charged with cleaning it and taking care of it. And it's nothing, anything, you know, it's nothing too crazy, but stay volunteering is something that I always like to say I'm doing because I want to encourage other people to be able to keep doing it. I think it's just great. The big thing I'm working on these days, like you, a podcast. So I actually have a podcast called the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. We, I like to say we give a little bit more of a commentary feel to some of the things that are happening in the nonprofit space. So whenever we're talking about AmeriCorps and how so many nonprofits rely on it, I like to talk about nonprofits as a whole and the structures and the insights and the rules that come uh, with that and give us some commentary. Because as you know, 10% of all people in the United States work in the nonprofit sector. Wow. Really? Ten? Mm -hmm. hmm. I feel like it's more than that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Offici yeah, so officially getting paychecks. And that now, of course, we're all volunteering. You know, you've mentioned for if you volunteer at your kids' local event, you know, you're a volunteer, but 10% of people get paychecks and get paid uh, in the nonprofit sector as, as NGOs and things. Wow. So, what are some um, either recent or compelling conversations that you've had? And do you have guests on your show or is it, is it just swims like generally? Brain? No. Generally, no guests. Generally, oh, no guests. Yeah. Interesting. Well, <laughs> I've had I, my podcast would fail if it was just me talking. <laughs> well, you probably, and listen, let's be honest, you probably got the numbers to back it. You've got a large network. I mean, you've got six, seven, nine months worth of people listening. So I know your numbers are, are, are just jazzed here. Uh, but no, it, no guests. I had my very first guest after 20 three episodes. I had my very first guest on for 15 minutes, but no, I don't do guests. And, and, and it's just my design because it gives me an opportunity to really share some of my insights and some of my thoughts on this particular world. So one of the things, and I'm glad you asked this question, because listen, we could nerd out forever on this. Let's I always it. like to say a lot of people don't actually know what a nonprofit is. Mm. And so if you go to an average person, you say, Hey, what, what's a nonprofit? Not that you, you, this is a test. We're not doing, you know, Yale, you know, quizzes or anything right. like that. You know, this isn't the University of Maryland here. But if I said, you know, if, if you had to describe what a nonprofit is, I think a lot of people's answers would be very different. So Nikki, I'm going to ask you, this is your podcast. Oh, so I got to ask, I'm putting you on the spot for your audience. What, how would you define a nonprofit? So it's my understanding that it's just a tax designation. And the 501c3 is, and if I come across as stupid, I'm totally editing oh. this out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's my understanding that a 501c3 is a nonprofit because they don't carry over or they don't make, they don't generate like shares and revenue for boards or something along those lines. Like they're not a revenue generating organization, but I know there's nonprofits like the one that I work for where we have memberships and we charge and we do have revenue that comes in. Um, so I don't know. It's my understanding that it's a tax designation and it's based off of not ending the year. Oh, now I, I'm going to totally end uh -oh. this out. Uh -oh. Okay. Well, listen, let me, let me start off by saying this. Was I close? <laughs> let, well, let me tell the audience this by starting off, not a lawyer. So I, I, that's a big thing because there are a lot of people that are lawyers. There are a lot of people that are true experts in this particular space that are even more advanced than I am. So I always like to throw that out. But you've got the first part right. And it's really the tax designation is the big thing. And so what a lot of people may not realize is that the IRS is the, the group that determines what a nonprofit is. A lot of people are kind of sort of familiar with that. But the IRS actually has 29 designations of 501 C status. Mm -hmm. Most people are familiar with a 501c3, but there are 29 different structures and setups that constitutes a 501c. And so this is by the IRS. And so uh, you could put this in your show notes for the people that are listening. Type this in right now on Google. Look up IRS publication 557, a 557. And you can kind of yeah. get a nice sense of what they are. And so Again, most people are familiar with a 501c3, but I, I took my notes here. I'm looking here. I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. But in this publication, it's a 76-page document. Of this document, it'll talk about these 29 different 501c organizations 
And out of this 76 document, 50% of it is about 501c3s okay. specifically. And so here's a, here, I'll give you just so people are like, well, what are some of uh, SWIM? What are some other examples of a 501c organization? So you have a 501c13. Most people haven't heard about that. That is the, a nonprofit organization that is a cemetery company. So for example, if, if let's say the, a lot of people are familiar with the Kennedys as a family. I don't know if they have one of these, but they're very well known. So they might have their own, for example, uh, private cemetery. And so they can have a piece of land. They don't pay federal taxes on it, designated as a 501c13. And then they don't have to pay federal taxes on that. And they are able to do contributions. A 501c14. A lot of people haven't heard about that. That's a state chartered credit union. So for example, I know you, Nikki, you live in Maryland. And so for example, they have out there the State Employees Credit Union. You mm -hmm. may have heard of it. That yeah. is actually a nonprofit under the 501c14 designation. So they have $600 million um, on their books and $4.7 billion in assets. They are able to skirt around federal taxes because of this designation. Let okay. me give you another one. A we are so getting, this is amazing. Continue. Okay, here's another one. A five, this is the very, very first one, a 501c1. One. Most people aren't as familiar with that. That's a corporation organization designated by Congress. The most common example of that is a federal credit union. And so, for example, you have a, a federal credit union would be like Kirkland Credit Union. So that's different than a state credit union like the State Employees Credit Union of Maryland. Kirkland is a federal credit union. So if I'm living in California, I can't be a part of that Maryland. I could be a part of that right. Maryland one, but I have to have some type of connection to the state. So there's a whole bunch of different 501c designations, 501c4, of course, talking social welfares. I was just looking up the other day, one of my favorite ones. Let me see if I have it here. A 501, I think it's a 501c5. I live in New okay. Mexico. So we have a lot of people. That is a... Uh, a 501c5 is a labor, agricultural, or horticultural organization. And so a prime example of that would be like a rodeo. So if you're ever in the countries of Maryland oh. and you have a rodeo and they are a nonprofit organization because that promotes the welfare and the general knowledge of humans and plants. So something like, here's an example, something like the United Auto Workers, they're a nonprofit, but they're not a 501c5. They are a 501c3 because they deal with humans versus plants and animals. So the IRS is the overarching aspect of what a nonprofit is. And there's a lot of different ways you can break this down. I'm speechless. That was, that was like such an information dump that like, I feel like we're going to need to do a follow-up or we're going to have to do like a mastermind class or some series of like, that was, I had no idea. I had no, I know, I knew about like the, um, something B, B Corps, but they weren't, that's not a 501c3. That's like a, that's like a, a company that, um, the, the greater good is the mission of the organization and mm -hmm. they, but they still can carry over profit and do some other things, but that's fascinating. I, okay. So what, what's the name of your podcast? Did you say it already? The nonprofit insider podcast. And listen, Nikki, okay. I can nerd out forever on this. Here's, let me give you, let me give you just one more here. Cause I think a lot of people uh, would be very interested in this. One of the things that a, a lot of people may not realize is with all these different 29 nonprofit organizations, a lot of people will say, uh, I want to donate to an organization for tax purposes. And so you had mentioned like at the end of the year, the nonprofit can't basically enter money or can't roll over money. That's a little bit of a mis, uh, misinformation uh, from the general public, not by anyone's fault. Nonprofits are able to take 
you can have revenue memberships you can bring in money but it mm -hmm. can't go to an individual or group of individual stockholders right. owners we, we know that type of stuff um but you can roll that money over year after year that's no problem at all and and we would consider like almost like you have profit so you roll it over uh, mm -hmm. one of the prime examples i always like to use is saint jude's they're based out of that general area but nashville uh, Denver, I think they probably have operations in Maryland. Mm -hmm. We know they do a lot of commercials. One of the things with the, the, the St. Jude's, and it's a criticism to them to a degree, but it's not always a bad thing. So I'm not picking on them by any means. I don't need any St. Jude's people coming to me. But if St. Jude's were to stop fundraising right now, if they said, you know what, we're done, we're going to disband this organization, they have enough money in their reserves for the next five years. Okay. A lot of nonprofits will have enough money for one to three years. Some right. biggers will have closer to three years as an average, but mm -hmm. big, big nonprofits, they can have so much money. They can stop fundraising right now and they'd be able to use that money for the next 60 months, uh, like a car loan with no problem. So there's wow. a, there's a, I always like to say, there's a lot of money in the nonprofit space and a lot of the rules that the IRS has set up as it relates to contributions and things uh, can be very advantageous. Knowledge bomb happening on the AmeriCorps Connections podcast right now. <laughs> that was amazing. So what is the, what is your overall like purpose and mission for your, um, for your nonprofit insider podcast? Is it, to go ahead. I'll say two, two things immediately. The first is just providing, again, just a commentary on what's happening. One of the things I think there's a lot of myths that happen in the nonprofit space. And, and I think one of the biggest myths, and I think sometimes the nonprofit uh, industry kind of gets in their own way and stumbles on their own feet, is the utilization of the mission. And, and, mm. and so I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you've had this at times, uh, Nikki, when you say you work with a nonprofit or you, you volunteer a nonprofit, you're on the board of a nonprofit, people can kind of get rose-colored glasses in their eyes. Mm. Oh my God, you're a hero. Oh, you're doing <laughs> such amazing work. Uh, but what a lot of people may not realize that are not the 90%, and here's another, here's a side up, 10% of all people work in nonprofit, 8% of all people work in government. The mm -hmm. remaining percentages of people in the United States work generally in for-profit, whether they work in construction or telecommunications or anything like that. So you're talking um, almost what 82% of all Americans work in a for-profit particular space. So there's a lot of aspects to being in the nonprofit space that you and I may know, mm -hmm. but a lot of people on the outside may not know. So given a general commentary so that people know it's not all fun and it's not all smiles. There's a lot of bullshit that exists in the nonprofit yeah. space. And so being able to share those aspects so people can kind of get a deeper reality and relating to the audience in that particular space. Uh, that's one of my big goals. And one of my second goals is really to just provide a voice to the nonprofit world, to get insights. And this is just something that I, I really love and appreciate. And so being able to share that knowledge just in general, like with the 501c structure, uh, giving some facts and giving some opinions. That's amazing. And so people can just use it as a resource to understand the nonprofit field better and just get, well, I was going to get some insider, <laughs> that's the name of the podcast, some insider information. Uh, and, and it, and you're right. Like, um, it's nonprofit. Yes. We're in a lot of nonprofits are giving back. And like you said, some of them are touching the people. Some of them are do are not, they're doing research, right. Institutions, foundations, giving out money. Um, but what was my point? Oh, but it's a business, yeah. right? Like it's it, the bottom line is you still have books. You got to keep, you still have taxes. You got to, you know, it's, it's still, it's still a business and there's still a strategy behind it. And, and I would also say that like, if anybody's interested in like starting a nonprofit or doing something like that, like just look to see if maybe there's a nonprofit doing the <laughs> thing that you want to start a nonprofit for and maybe like support that nonprofit in some way, shape or form, because there's a lot of duplication. I don't know if you talk about that in, in your podcast, but it seems like there's a little bit of duplication of work and uh, there is an ability for nonprofits to come together and do more partnership work. And that's also just 
I think with um, uh, the work with AmeriCorps, right? Like where some nonprofits and organizations rely on the AmeriCorps member to do the work, the VISTA members to build the capacity, the NCCC members to move the trees, you know, or build the tra trails and, and the TFA members to get in the classroom and do the teaching and city year to um, do the tutoring and then all, all of the in-betweens. Um, there's still, there's, there's that, that's such an example of partnerships, right? Like the nonprofits are partnering with schools. The nonprofits are working with AmeriCorps. Sometimes the schools are partnering with AmeriCorps and then partnering out with the nonprofits. So there is this, like this ecosystem uh, that AmeriCorps fits right into that. Absolutely. And one of my, one of my favorite things, I'm see, like, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, why did you invite me here? Cause I'm just plugging now, but one of my favorite parts Plug. of doing one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast, we have a reoccurring segment called the nonprofit horror story. Non okay. And so er, not every episode, but during about once every two to three episode, I have people from uh, across the nation. We've had people from North Carolina, Colorado, Arizona, California that send me stories and I read those stories on the show. And there are stories mm -hmm. that really show the more realistic aspects yep. of being in a nonprofit space. Because listen, in the same way that if you work at, I'm, I'm going to pick, if you work at AT&T and you're in the break room and someone decides they put uh, yesterday's salmon in the microwave, it happens. <laughs> in, it, listen, it happens in the nonprofit space. And yeah. some of the stories are just so relatable because you've experienced it you've been in this space and as much as we know we're dealing with fundraisers and boards and all the things like that I had a story from someone just the other day this is an exclusive Nick I'm not even I haven't even shared this story yet oh this is I exciting a, I had a let me ask, well let me ask you a question when when is the first time Nikki you've ever had chips and salsa oh gosh well I grew up in Southern California so uh -huh. I think it was kind of a staple. Um, <laughs> but when I first remembered, and actually my dad is visiting me from San Diego, from California, so I could actually ask him, he might remember. Um, chips and salsa, I think I would have to say maybe, actually maybe middle school is when I remember like that good pico de gallo. And it's not Ooh. like that. The one that has like, I don't like the salsa that has like the tomato base. I like okay. pico de gallo with the cut up. Okay, we're, now we're going to go now the AmeriCorps food podcast. <laughs> yes, subdivision. Okay, so we'll just say we'll say we'll say middle school. It was my first experience with chips and salsa. We had Carlos Murphy's. Oh, okay. Now I my memory's crap, so who knows. We got to get a sponsorship from Carlos Murphy. Well, the reason why I, the reason why I asked is because the first time I ever had chips and salsa I was 18 years old and it was because I was in AmeriCorps and I remember sitting, it was like maybe uh, two months in and someone brought out a bowl of chips and a bowl of red stuff. And I said, what is that? And people started taking the chips and I'd, I'll be honest, growing up in Philadelphia, I'd never seen it. And so I've been asking some people and I happened to mention this to someone that's in the nonprofit space. And she told me a story that one time she was at an event and they had chips and salsa. And a couple minutes had passed, like half an hour, 45 minutes. And one of the volunteers took one of the chips. They dipped Double it dipped. in. They took a bite. And they put the chip back in the salsa. Now, Nikki, they double dipped. They double dipped. That is, that a, is listen, we talk about, again, we don't have enough money for funding. We got a leak in the building. But this person was talking about how being in a nonprofit space for 10 years, this story stood out to them as a horror story because they could not believe the volunteer had double dipped the chips. chips. Even that I is... know not to double dip. And so those are the type of stories I like to bring to the forefront because I think yeah. it's something that it's relatable. It, it really brings out, oh my gosh, like these horror stories are not always bad. Sometimes you just have people that double dip. I love that. That is, that is so great. So, so good. Um, I am going to be a fan of your podcast. Um, so <laughs> I am going to have to listen to it. I've got uh, some car rides coming up here soon. So I'm definitely going to, um, the nonprofit insider by swim Kareem. I'm so excited to, uh, hopefully my network will be 
all over it. Um, if you are listening and learning about this podcast for the first time from AmeriCorps Connections, please give me a shout out and just say, hey, I found your podcast from here. It'll just be really cool to to see how the the um the different networks interact with each other. And um yeah, is there anything else that you uh want to share? Or I know we like I don't know. I would love to have you back for another time where we could actually like be like, this is the topic we're talking about. Um, but you're a busy guy. So we'll figure, we'll figure it out. Um, is there anything that are just, I'll ask my big question after I ask this, is there anything else that you want to share or want people to know or follow or wh whatever with what you're doing now? That I want to share, but yeah, feel free to listen to the nonprofit insider podcast. We've got some great stories. We always like to do it in three segments. We have a segment, a new segment, for the first five minutes, I get into like a little bit of a main segment for about 10 minutes. That's usually where I'm ranting about work from home policies or I'm mm. ranting about any number of things that are happening. And then in the third segment, we'll usually have our nonprofit horror stories. We do book reviews. I actually just got finished doing a really nice book review. I said what I said, an analogy of Black women and nonprofits. So I do like to do a lot of mm. reading. So just listen to the podcast. We've okay. got it on Apple. We've got it on Spotify. But- I want to nerd out for just one more minute here, Nikki. Do I want to actually read a piece from the IRS's 557 publication about specifically 501c3. Because again, there's 29 different 501c organizations. Only eight of them even allow donation contributions. And so that's one of the, the big things is if you want to donate, you want to maybe use it for tax purposes, you know how that can be. Yeah. And so I want to read this. This is actually, you can find this on page 22 of that 557. I'm and sure so it's it, super compelling because it was written by the IRS. <laughs> well, it actually is because it really okay. does break down what a 501c3 is. And it has, you know, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. But at the very onset, it says an organization may qualify for exemption from federal income tax under the 501c3 if it is an organized and operated exclusively for one or more of the following purposes. Mm. One, religious. So we know that's why churches are nonprofits. Two, charitable. I always like to give an example of, um, of uh, the Sierra Club. A lot of people may not realize that the Sierra Club is a 501c4, but they also have a foundation, which is a 501c3. And so they use that 501c3 as a charitable wing. So in terms of doing scholarships for young people, things like that, that's that. That's one. Uh, so you have number one, religious, two, charitable, three, scientific, four, mm. testing for public safety, five, literacy, six, education. We know that's a big one. We know education is a big one. Seven, the fostering of national or international amateur sports competition. That is legit. One of the reasons why NFL. you've got it. Actually, if you, if you look at it, football is specifically listed uh, as you could do uh, control F and you can see why the NFL is listed as a, as a nonprofit. And then number eight, anything that is the prevention of cruelty to animals or children. So that's when you start talking organizations like PETA and those types of things. So those are the eight designations. And there's, of course, you know, subdivisions that can kind of occur. But those are the things that really constitute what a 501c3. So next time you're in a board meeting or anything like that, you can kind of your audience can give them a little bit of knowledge. Yes, absolutely. Um, that was so helpful. Oh, my gosh. Like I did. I love that we can connect. And this is the purpose, like the reason for this podcast, connecting through AmeriCorps, but then also sharing the resources and the wisdom of, of AmeriCorps members. Like we're not like we went through AmeriCorps in your case, you did it intentionally. In my case, I fell into it and it changed my world, but we are more than our AmeriCorps service year. We are people who are, have gone on to do professional things and we have interests and we have, you know, whatever hobbies that are important, like. Shada Harris, who now builds terrariums. She was an AmeriCorps alum. She also can put on a project and teach you how to build a terrarium for your home. I mean, you know, like that's one of the things that I love about, yeah, she was podcast number 
seven or something or eight. Um, so the information that you shared is so is good. I feel like it's going to be super helpful for, for the audience. And it's just another example of AmeriCorps members who have gone on to either further their, further their interests or just give back with resources. So I always like to end the podcast with asking, you know, there's one point one point three. I was just at an event at Serve right. DC uh, with Ameri current AmeriCorps members and AmeriCorps alum and CEO Michael Scott, Michael Scott, Michael, Michael Smith, Smith. Michael yes. Smith was there and he uh, said that officially there's one point three alumni, uh, AmeriCorps alumni. So we're gonna have to change my show notes to one point three. Um so there's a lot of us out there, right? Like what what would you want to see for the for the network? Like what do you think we could do big, small, nationally, regionally, locally, um conscious wise, anything? What do you what what do you think we could do? Yeah, I I thought about this question because again, I stalked your podcast and listened to every episode <laughs> I could. And so I, I appreciate again, Nikki, the time to to be able to hop on and talk to your audience. We've got a good network and you've got a good thing going here. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. You know, one of the things is when I was in AmeriCorps, one, I didn't even really know what I was getting into, I guess you would say. Yeah. But this was back in 2006. And so when I got out, this was 2008. And so MySpace was really still the thing. Uh, Facebook is wow. really just getting started. And so being able to get to a network for self-services, even just to like get a job after college, that would have been nice. So I definitely would love to see a, a bigger network. And especially with this next generation that as they finish out their year, they're automatically put into some type of network where yeah. they have the ability to connect. Uh, but for the general population of, of AmeriCorps, I would actually love to see a conference. I would love to see you at the forefront, Nikki, of doing an AmeriCorps alumni conference, bringing people together from around the nation um, that have been a part of the AmeriCorps space and getting AmeriCorps at the federal level involved in some fashion. Because I think you said 1.3 million, there's just no reason that we aren't even more connected and able to bond uh, like if you were in a, a college alumni network. That's amazing. Like, and there may or may not be something interesting happening in 2024. <laughs> I'll just uh, say that. Whoa, <laughs> we'll be off teaser. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to say no more. Wow. Total teaser, total teaser. Um, but I love that. And you know what? You're not the only, you're not the first person that I've interviewed that said that has said that. Like, want like bring us together. Let's do this thing. So um, yeah, I, I think we all want to get connected and we want to know more about each other. So this was so amazing. And I, I'm serious. I would love to have you back on for another episode or something special. Um, you know, if you haven't already, already, I'm sure people have already left this podcast and gone and listened to your podcast. So if you've made it this long, thank you so much. I'll be back next week with another AmeriCorps Connections and Swim. Thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. And, um, you know, I think you reached out to me on LinkedIn or I commented on something. So 